Welcome to the Living Word Assemblies of God Toronto podcast. As the Bible says in Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Yes, it is the complete human experience. So relax and re-energize yourself with this powerful word. Father, indeed, it is your word. Your word is life. Your word brings light. And as we listen to your word today, may you transform us. May you restore us. May you heal us. May you empower us. And may we go forth to do your will. Who am I, O God? To stand before your altar in the front of your people. Frail, weak, vulnerable. But it pleases you to use men. And so I pray, O God, that your spirit will speak through me to all of us and grant us listening hearts today that that which we hear will work in our lives and work for our good to your praise and to your glory. Thank you for your servant who is not here today. And for me to stand in his shoes, I pray bless them in the name of Jesus. Amen. Put your hands together for the Lord and please be seated. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Last week, or the second week, our senior pastor started the message with us and for us on true love, not what you think. And he began by asking us a very profound question. Do you love God? And do I love God? And then he gave us a slogan. I don't know whether you remembered it, but when I say, let's see whether you remember. True love, aha, oh, true love, God's love. And then God's love, John 3 16. Okay, great. So, true love, God's love. God's love, John 3, 16. Okay, you are good. True love, God's love. God's love, John 3, 16. How about greeting each other that way next time you see somebody? You know, the, the world, the world does things like this. And, and they are inspired by it. For those of you who grew up in Ghana, when you hear maybe Asante Kotoko, what do they say? Ukumapim. Aha! And you see how excited they are, isn't it? If you belong to half, they say, never say that. Phobia, phobia, isn't it? I don't remember Olymp- Olympics one now, maybe. <laughs> Only that day. Aha. Why do you think they say these things? It inspires them. They are ready to fight. How about us, Christians? That is why we talk about these things. True love, God's love. God's love, John 3, 6. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. God gave his son, if you have your bulletin, make sure that you are, you are filling it in. That is why we prepare it that way. You know, we don't want you to be writing notes. So we, we simplify it and, and provide feelings. So please don't come to church without a pen. And when you get the bulletin, make good use of it. In the week, you can do a revision going over the message again. Of course, you can listen to it on the website also, but please, please, don't just sit there. This is a joint effort together, preaching together and listening together. So please make sure you got a bulletin. If you don't have one, 
lift up your hands so the ushers can help you. So yes, God gave his son. But you know what? God's love is predetermined. The first thing you need to feel there, God's love is predetermined. And what does that mean? It means that God does not love us based on how we are, how we feel, who we are. God's love is there. Even though we were sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his love for us. In this, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Whilst we were rotten, not known. Some of us were humanizers, manizers, drunkards, thieves. Maybe we didn't do armed robbery, but we were thieving, we were stealing. Liars. And you know it. You know it right now. But while we're still those people, Christ died for us. God gave his son. In first and Augustine says that God loves each of us as though we were the only one to love in the world. And if you remember very well, Reverend Oseyamwa always used to say when he was dedicating babies that if this was the only child on earth, Christ would still come to die for them. This is the love we are talking about. Not the true love Hollywood way. Not the true love that I say to my wife to be becoming my wife or the one you are going to marry. That is really not true love. True love is God's love. But that love I have for my wife or you have for your wife, you have for your husband, must flow out of the love of God. Praise the Lord. And the challenge we are having in the world today is that we are trying to love outside of God's love. And that doesn't work. John 3.16 Whoever that's the second feeling you need to do. Whoever, whoever, you see, it didn't matter to God where you were. That is why he says, therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. Matthew 10.32. However, however, there's no scripture reference given there, but let me give you this one. Luke 23.43. And what does that say? That was when the armed robber on the cross confessed Jesus and Jesus said, Today, you will be with me in where? Paradise. However rotten you were, bad you were, if you confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, his love covers all of that. So he starts the, the, the arm robber on the cross. Today, you will be with me in paradise. All of that sin was forgotten. Wiped away by one confession. True love. And then, whenever even before I go to whenever, however, you remember Paul, uh, the apostle Paul? Who was Paul? You could call him a terrorist. He was chasing and, and, and getting Christians killed. But when the risen Lord appeared to him. He yielded and said, Lord, what would you have me to do? And that is why in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 15, I don't know whether you have that, but you can note it. He says, 
This is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came to the world to die for sinners, of which I am chief. Paul had been morally good as an Israelite, but when he encountered Jesus Christ, the true love, he knew that he was on the, right, the wrong path. Whenever you remember the parable of the, the workers in the vineyard, the master found some when? Early morning, let's say six o'clock. He said, Come into my, my harvest field. And he agreed with them. I'll pay you a denarii. They agreed. At nine o'clock, he met some others also on the road. You too come. And whatever is good, I'll pay you. Here, he didn't actually give it to them. He said, whatever is right, I'll pay you. Then 12 o'clock. Then 3 o'clock. Then finally, 5 o'clock. Wouldn't you like to be in that group? Work for just one hour? <laughs> 5 o'clock. He said, hey, you too. You have been idle the whole day. Come into my harvest field. Do what you need to do like others. Whatever is right, I will pay you. And then 6 o'clock, the bell rang. Day is over. Come for your wages. And of course, like we will feel, isn't it? We were here first, so I'm sure you're going to get something bigger. He began to give out the wages. But the master being so wise decided to pay those who came at 5 o'clock first. And that gave the early comers hope that, wow, if this man is so good to pay one hour workers a whole denarii, then we know that we are going to get better. And finally, when they got yes, what was it? One denarii. Abba! What kind of master are you? We came here since morning. In fact, it was still dark. We came here and we worked. You gave us a denarii and give those who work one hour also a denarii? Man, that's the way we judge, isn't it? He said, what has that got to do with you? It's my money. Don't I have a right to do if you thought I choose to? Didn't I agree with you that in the morning I'll pay you a denarii? Didn't you sign that contract? So what is your problem? Meaning God can save at any time. Hallelujah. And that is why we should not write anybody off. Or should keep on praying for people. God's love. E.S. Eliot, uh, Jones, sorry, a philosopher and thinker said, the difference between Hinduism and Christianity is this, that in Hinduism you have to be climbing ladder. This ladder of righteousness, this ladder of purity, until you get to Brahma. But this God who they call Brahma does not stretch for his hand to help you. So if you stumble, you fall. Brahma will not help you. But in our case, God himself came right to the bottom of the ladder and hold our hand and climb together with us. Which one would you want to do? Well, we didn't put the other one there with the Muslims. They say that God is going to look at the things you do. If the good outweighs the bad and the scale feels this way, then you go to heaven. If the bad outweighs the good, you go to where? What they don't answer is this. What if the good and the bad are equal? Where do you go? And then they say, oh, that's left with God. See, that is the confusion they have. But we are confident in this. That once you place your, your, your life in the hand of Jesus Christ, the Savior, no doubt. That is why the songwriter says, I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough for me. 
that Jesus died and died for me. That is true love we are talking about. We'll watch a couple of videos. One first. Kofi, if you are ready. The Ava video talking about love. Let's watch. Good morning and evening. Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. We're going to look at the third key word in this prayer, how Israel is called to love their God. But what does that mean? Love is a very common word in most languages, as it is in ancient Hebrew. It's pronounced ahava. It most basically refers to the kind of affection or care that one person shows another. It sometimes describes physical affection, like the king of Persia's love for Queen Esther. But there are other Hebrew words that more specifically refer to physical desire or sex. Ahava is more broad. So Abraham had ahava for his son Isaac, that's parental love. Jonathan showed ahava for his friend David, that would be brotherly love. In fact, a whole group of people can have ahava for their leader, like when the Israelites showed love for their king David. Ahava can even describe loyalty between political allies, like Hiram, the king of Tyre, loved David. They had good relations, and so Hiram wanted to help David's son Solomon build the temple. These are all different kinds of affection described with the one word, ahava. Now all of this is helpful for understanding God's ahava in the Old Testament. So in Deuteronomy, Moses told the Israelites, God showed affection for you, he chose you because of his ahava for you. So God doesn't love because the Israelites earned it or deserve it. It simply originates from God's own character. He loves because he loves. This is why Jeremiah can say that God's love is everlasting. It has no end because it has no beginning. God's love just is an eternal fact of the universe. And God's love is not a duty. It's a genuine feeling, an affection that God experiences. This is why the prophet Hosea compares God's love for his people to a husband's ahava for his wife or to a parent showing ahava for their child. It's one of the strongest things that God feels. But that doesn't mean that God's love is just a feeling. God's love is also in action. It's something God chooses to do. Like when Moses says, because of God's ahava for your ancestors, he brought you out of Egypt with great power. God's love isn't just a sentiment, it is something God does. And so, in the Shema, Israel is called to respond to God's ahava by showing ahava in return. And just like God's love, human love is to show itself through actions. Like in Deuteronomy 10, what does the Lord your God ask of you except to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him and serve him and to keep his commands? All of these actions are centered around love. If I'm not doing them, I don't actually love God, I just say I do. Which leads to one last thing. In the Old Testament, I show my love for God by how I treat the people around me. In Deuteronomy, we read that God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and he shows ahava for the immigrants among you, giving them food and clothing. And so you also show ahava for the immigrants. So the people are to imitate God's ahava by showing ahava for others. This is the idea underneath the famous line, you shall ahava your neighbor as yourself. And so at the end of the day, all of this is rooted in God's own eternal ahava. Like we read in the New Testament letter of 1 John, we love because God first loved us. And that's the Hebrew word, ahava. Thank you. So, do you ahava your brother or your sister? So we're talking about God so loved the world. We saw what whosoever, however, whenever. How about wherever? You remember the story of the prodigal son or the lost coin? Wherever we are lost at, God seeks us out. True love seeks. That will conclude last week's one which pastor could not finish. Then we move on to the second part for today. True love cares. True love 
cares. And true love leads to miracles. So I want you to take your Bible or you look on the screen. Let's turn to John, the Gospel of John chapter 2. Let's read verses 1 to 11 quickly. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, you have kept the good wine until now. The beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Amen. Amen. Thank God for the reading of his word. Bless it to our hearts, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, true love cares. Jesus likes ordinary people. One more feeling for you. Ordinary people at ordinary events. Because he cares. You see, when the Lord Jesus came into the world and began his ministry, you would have thought that he would go into Jerusalem where the, the gurus, the religious leaders were. You would have thought that that was where he would begin his ministry. But he didn't. Instead, he went to Galilee In the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, it says, Galilee of the Gentiles. Galilee of the Gentiles. So there were many unbelievers there. Many common people. And Jesus never hesitated to associate himself with them. No wonder the Jews were calling him Jesus' friend of sinners. And Jesus loved ordinary events also. Though you may say a wedding is not an ordinary event, but he was going to places. Remember Zacchaeus' house? He went there and had feast, supper with the people. Jesus associated with the ordinary people and at ordinary events. That is true love. True love cares. And his purpose of this true love is to transform us, to change us, to become like him. When we do investments, our goal is to get returns on the investment. Do you know that God has made a great investment in you and I? And that he wants that investment to bring great returns to him. He cares so deeply about you and for you. And because of that, 
His work of transformation begins from the inside. Jesus cares about what happens in the inside as well as the outside. But he's more interested in what happens in the inside because he says that out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks. Amen? So you know, one of the ways you can judge somebody even though you should not be judging is when you hear the things they are saying. How do you feel when somebody stands by you and they are swearing? What do you think is in their heart? And how about you? Even when you are not angry, the sort of things you will say, and let alone when you become angry. See, the story we read about the wedding at Cana, there are a few lessons we are going to draw from, from there, but one of them is this. The six waterfalls that were there, they were meant for cleansing. So the Jews who pour water in there, fetch it, and then wash their hands, their feet, when they come from home, when they, from town, when they interact with people, because they believe that when they interact with people, they become unclean. So they will fetch water there, clean themselves, hands, feet, whatever it is, before they do anything else. Isn't it interesting that it is the same water pot Jesus Christ said, pour water and fetch out of it. He was giving a message that you guys are concerned about outward cleaning. But the inside is all we should be more concerned about. How is your heart like towards God and towards people? 1 Corinthians 3, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, let's read it together. He is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. When Christ touches you, you are transformed. But he doesn't want us to remain there. That is why we are all works in progress. But we need to yield to him. First Corinthians 5, 6, 9 to 11. It says, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes and homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. That is what some of us were. But thank God for Jesus. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Amen. We are transformed people. And so, true love that has appeared to us brings a responsibility. We must respond to the true love. Hallelujah. Even though God does not love us based on our obedience, because we were sinners before he loved us, he expects us to respond to true love. And that is why he says in the short clip we said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God before your, all your soul, 
all your heart, all your mind. And that same Jesus said in the New Testament, when they came to him, he said, all of the laws will be summed up in what? Two. The first being loving your God, the second being love your neighbor as yourself. This is to love. Before we, we itemize the lessons we want to see in the story we read, the account we read, there's one more short video Kofi wants to give us. So Kofi, if you are ready for the Shema, please put that on. For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Now the first word of the Shema is hear or listen, which in Hebrew is pronounced Shema. That's where the prayer gets its name. Now, Shema is a really common word in the Hebrew Bible, and it's obvious why. Hearing is a very universal activity. It's usually connected with the ear, as in Proverbs chapter 20, ears that Shema and eyes that see, the Lord has made them both. Now, that seems basic enough, but if you look at the other ways that Hebrew authors can use the word Shema, they use it to mean more than just let sound waves enter your ear. In Hebrew, Shema can also mean pay attention to or focus on. So when Leah, who wasn't loved by her husband Jacob, she has a son, and she names him Simon, or in Hebrew, Shimon, because, she says, the Lord has Shamad, that I am unloved. So Shema means to hear and to pay attention to, and even more. It can also mean responding to what you hear. This is why so many of the cries for help in the book of Psalms begin with a call that God listen. Psalm 27, verse 7. Shema my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful. Answer me. So asking God to Shema is at the same time asking God to act, to do something. It's similar to when God asks people to listen. Like when the people of Israel come to Mount Sinai, God says, If you Shema me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Now there's a couple interesting things about this verse in Exodus. In Hebrew, the word Shema is repeated twice in the sentence to give it emphasis. If you Shema Shema, meaning listen closely. But also notice that from God's point of view, listening is basically the same as keeping the covenant. So when God asks the people to Shema, what he means is that they listen and obey. And that's the last fascinating thing about Shema. In ancient Hebrew, there is no separate word for obey, meaning to carry out the wishes of someone who knows better than you or is in authority over you. So in the Bible, if you want to say, I will listen and do what you say, you use the single word, Shema. In Hebrew, listening and doing are two sides of the same coin. This is why later in Israel's history, when the people were breaking their covenant promises to God, the Hebrew prophets would say things like, they have ears, but they're not listening. The Israelites, of course, could hear just fine, but they weren't actually listening or else they would act differently. And so in the end, listening in the Bible is about giving respect to the one speaking to you and doing what they say. Real listening takes effort and action, and that's the Hebrew word Shema. Let's put our hands together for Kofi and the team. They have been doing very well. Amen. So, when that came, we thought, oh, that's the same thing we saw, isn't it? But the first word we saw was Ahava. Now it's Shema. Listen. Listen. So, when you turn back to our story in John 2, 1 to 11, talks about the situation when Jesus and his friends were at this wedding and the wine ran out. Now you remember that among the Israelites and also us, that will be an embarrassment, isn't it? We also do when we go to a wedding, the food is finished. He complained. There was no, there was no, the food was not even enough. You know? I didn't even get a drink. 
He go away complaining. So here was the situation. Jesus and his friends at a wedding party, the wine ran out. Interestingly enough, the mom approached her. There are many things we can learn from this story. I wonder why Jesus said, woman. He didn't say, mom. He says, woman. I'm sure some of us women will take offense at that if your son says, woman. What has that got to do with me? But we won't go there for now. God demands obedience as our response to his love. Hallelujah. He expects us to listen, to hear, and to respond to his voice. Shema. And so you see in this story, Jesus heard the mom's request very well. But he chose to respond to it in the way he intended to. Obedience is very, very important to God. Two quick examples. One in the Old Testament is King Saul. Because of disobedience, King Saul lost his, his kingship and God's approval. But come to the New Testament, and I mentioned this man before. I said he was a terrorist. But because of obedience, Paul moved from becoming a persecutor to become an apostle. Praise the Lord. And we are no different. God is calling on you and I also to respond to his love through obedience. Today, many of the challenges, troubles, conflicts that are happening are simply due to disobedience. In fact, for those who don't believe, it's disobedience. For those who believe and are walking in self-will, I want to do my will. I choose to do things this way. It's disobedience. Why are we having so many conflicts in marriages? Disobedience. And may I appeal to the younger ones among us? Please, please, please yield your hearts to God. Because you guys are exposed to so many things these days. My right, your right. I can do it, you can do it. I'm working, you are working. And maybe my paycheck is even fatter than yours. And so there is no way anyone wants to surrender. And when two forces come together like that, what happens? Explosion. But true love demands obedience. It was a living word, love God, live the word, reach the word. True love leaves the word. That's the next one you need to fill in. True love leaves the word. If the word of God says, be patient with each other, men live with your wives in understanding. If we hear all these things, and yet we are quarreling, we are fighting, what is the cause? What is happening? What makes us different? And then we can stand up and lift up hands, dance and jump and say, we praise you, Lord. We love you, Lord. But God is speaking to us and saying, I want your heart to be surrendered to me. Hello? 
For our younger folks, may I say it again, you have a long way ahead of you. Enjoy yourselves. Mm -hmm. Enjoy yourselves. When you are quarreling and, and griping, and how can you enjoy your marriages? It comes down to obedience. You see, when Mary came to Jesus and said, the wine is gone. Imagine the look on Mary's face. Some commentators think that Jesus and his friends were not originally invited. So when they came, probably, they get crushed. So when they were serving the wine, it got finished. <laughs> and it appeared that Mary had already been there. So when this thing happened, Mary came to Jesus. The wine is finished. Now, you know Jesus is in the midst of the people. So when Mary came along, obviously there were Jesus' friends, the apostles were with him. The wine is finished. Imagine the look on Mary's face. There's going to be embarrassment. Son, do something. Jesus said, what has that got to do with me? My time has not yet come. But Mary said, and obviously the servants were also standing around. He says, whatever he says, do it. What do you think would have inspired Mary to say that? The Bible says that this was the first of the miracles he did. It's not like Jesus had already been doing miracles so Mary knows that, hey, Jesus will bring out wine. This was the first one recorded. So it would appear but if you know the background of Mary and Joseph and Jesus, it also appears at this time that Joseph had died because he wasn't mentioned anymore. So it will appear that Jesus already had been saving situations even at home. Are you with me? You women, you know, sometimes you, you, you want to prepare the dinner. Oh, this thing is not there. And then your ingenuity, you try to find things here and there. It will appear that at home, when there were situations that were challenging, Jesus will come and put the arms around them and say, everything will be okay. And then suddenly, something will be provided. So out of that knowledge, I believe, Mary said, whatever he tells you, do it. May I submit to you today? Whatever Jesus tells you, do it. Hallelujah. The challenge we are having as Christians is that we don't want to do what he's telling us. We want to do what society is telling us. What I think, what I feel. Does it work that way? If you say you belong to somebody and that person is your master, you hear his voice. Even our employers who are not our masters, we go to them, they order us about, we do it for dollars. So next you need to write there, true love surrenders to God. True love surrenders to God. Mary would have said, son, why did you say that? Don't you see that we'll be embarrassed? Do something. But I can see Mary quietly said, whatever he tells you, do it. And Mary walked away. Mary walked away. Let's learn to surrender, to yield to the Lord. Obedience is the next thing you need to fear. Opens the door to miracles. Now, it's not surprising Based on what Mary said, the servants were ready to do what Jesus would say. 
So Jesus looked around the cleansing pots. He said, fill them with water. And they did. They obeyed. They didn't understand. They were not coming from where Mary was coming from. But they responded. They filled the water pots with water. And he said, now, fetch some of that. Take it to the MC. Well, MCs are very important, especially our Ghanaian uh, MCs in there. You go to functions. They want to make you laugh and do things, isn't it? So you can imagine they brought this water. To the servants, it was still water. But Mary said they should obey, so they obeyed. They took this water glass to the MC. Mm. What? This is not like anything I tasted here. Where did it come from? Then they pointed to Jesus. Call me, call me the bridegroom. Call me the bridegroom. What have you done? This is the best wine. Most people will leave this, give this the first time. Why did you leave it until last? Friends, obedience leads to miracles. So I don't know what you may be going through. It may be challenging, but here is the deal. If you can lift it to God and then surrender it and yourself to him, he will show himself faithful. No matter whatever it is, because he loves us. He said elsewhere that even we who are we who are are wicked and bad, we give good gifts to our children. Come Christmas, or even they are going back to, uh, to school next week after March break. You are going to buy things for them, even though some of them disobey you. You still do it anyway. How about you? God cares so much about us that there is nothing who will deny us. He said he gave his only begotten son for us. What else could he not give to us in addition to him? The problem is that we are still holding our burdens. We are still carrying our burdens. If only we can surrender it to him. You know? Last thing I want to leave with you. Jesus always keeps the best for the last. Hallelujah. If you look at the scriptures we read, it says that this, the first of the signs, John uses the word sign instead of miracles. This is the first of the signs he did in Cana of Galilee. And his disciples did what? They believed in him. I don't know about you, but I know this one thing, that Jesus Christ has not finished with you yet. Amen. Whatever challenge you think you are going through, is no challenge to him. Think about this. From creation, through Adam and Eve, all the way to where we are today, God has seen every kind of humanity. He knows every kind of challenge we humans have. He saw some of them in the past. Even if yours is uncommon, unheard of, it doesn't change him. He is still God. And I want you to know that because he loves you, he loves me, he is ready to meet us at the point of need. Miracles build faith. Obedience builds faith. That is why when the disciples saw that, hey, the one we are following, even at this point in time, he cared about these people so much, there was a need, he solved the need. Nobody else could have done that except God, and they believe in him. Today, I want you to know that same Jesus Christ is alive. He's right here. He's with us. 
And that is why when he was born, one of the names given to him is called Emmanuel. God with us. He is with you. And I'm trusting that if only you will yield to him, even today, whatever the burden is, he cares. He will come through for you. And your faith will be strengthened. And you can testify that indeed, God is love. Stand with me. Thank you, Lord. You want to pray? God loves us so much. Thank you for your time. We pray that this message will continue to be a blessing in your life. Please visit us at livingwordag.org or whenever you are in the greater Toronto area, Ontario, Canada. This podcast is made possible through your generous donations. God bless you and keep you. Join us again soon.